Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Well, hey, it's Jess here. Just jumping in for one quick second to let you know, it's officially the holiday season. And for a lot of us, that sucks. Not everyone has that loving, caring, unconditionally supportive thing going on. And a good number of us are going to walk away from the turkey table feeling completely discombobulated and defeated, honestly confused about who our families seem to think we are, and doubting our own perceptions of reality, indignant about the strange vibes, tensions, and illusions to fabricated accusations floating in the air, the dismissals of objective history, the outright insults, which are probably immediately blamed on you for being too sensitive when you actually acknowledge them, or just feeling outright riled because it seems to be impossible for everyone to avoid the most controversial topics on the planet and inter-clan bickering no matter how many years everyone tries to purple mouth it through the day. And all the while, you might be feeling like it's somehow demanded, obligated, insisted upon, and required that you show up to a party where everyone hates that you're present, but don't you dare leave. You gotta love the coercive kicking bag tradition, huh? And for those reasons, I put out a snarky little mini message about the challenges of the holidays, which is available without a subscription or donation on the Traumatized Motherfuckers Patreon page, patreon.com slash traumatized motherfuckers. I just wanted to give a quick reminder of some of the brain games you might encounter among a non-recovering, mentally ill crowd and the better ways to view their antics, such as trying to force you to stay in historical roles by refusing to see anything that's actually happening, provoking reactive situations, and outgroup scapegoating. Plus, I included the public service message that a lot of us need to hear. 
you don't have to maintain relationships with people who harm your mental health, even if they're your family members. So if you're headed into a rocky day, already preparing to double fist dissociate and emotionally numb the distress away, here's a little holiday message for you to check out before you really check out. Find it free to the public, hanging on the Traumatized Motherfuckers Patreon page, patreon.com slash traumatized motherfuckers. And happy Thanksgiving, the worst holiday of the year. Check the Instagram page if you're looking for ways to connect tomorrow. You're not in this one alone, motherfuckers. And uh, on with the usual show. Cheers, y'all. Well, hey there, motherfucker. Welcome back. Let's continue on with this effort to summarize pretty much everything we've learned in the past 18 months of this show, concisely and with the bare details, so we can all finally be on the same page moving forward as this motherfucking trauma revolution march demands. Today we're going to talk about something that we probably all do and uh, may or may not know about it or at least may not know about the depths of what it really means in our lives on a very practical level, dissociation. Now, we talk about this happening in times of extreme stress, that the mind and the brain unfuse, essentially, leaving the individual in an altered, semi-present state. Some people go blank, some people have flashbacks, some people have elaborate behavioral instructional systems that are engaged and then forgotten, It's actually a whole separate spectrum of disorders when we talk about dissociation. But let's try to simplify this a little today. Here is my take on dissociation so far. So we've already covered the fact that you have a basic animal survival system and a logical, higher thinking system, which we associate with being a human being. So just like when we experience a traumatic event, and our energy is reallocated to powering only the bare minimum, oh shit, emergency connections, as we talked about in the what is PTSD episode, it seems like we also can do the same thing throughout the rest of our lives. I would say with increasing proficiency, as we learn how to use it as a skill to get through the day time and time again. So this mental switch towards just reacting on bare brain basics, turning off as many extra bells and whistles as possible, not conscientiously tuning into what's happening, just powering through it, is what we tend to think of as dissociation in a nutshell, a system over-reliance and a matching shutdown on the alternative system that leaves you untethered from your higher brain activities, like using logic, self-recognition, and autobiographical memory. But there is a pretty big caveat to discuss in my own personal dissociative views. I think, and I could be wrong, that you can dissociate in either direction, as in, in favor of using your animal brain or your human brain. It seems like when you are emotionally and experientially overwhelmed, you'll prioritize handling those bodily-based events. You'll lean heavily towards handling the physical concerns that are raging on all around you, 
the sensory system and associated animal brain. But during a time of mentally stimulating density, I think you'll flip the other direction. You'll cut the ties to your emotional system and enlist your logical brain to get through the piles of paperwork. Emotionally dissociate and power up the reasonable brain because we have fucking work to do. So what do these things feel like? Well, on the level of switching into pure emotional or survival-brained territory, I think it's best conceptualized through the sensation of a panic attack or overwhelming grief. Like being in the depths of emotion and emergency can get in the way of all those fancy human functioning activities. If you aren't tossed into fight or flight mode, there are a lot of zoned out periods when just staring at a wall seems ideal. What are you thinking about? Everything and yet nothing at all. Just feeling your memories and present moment in a way that sort of bypasses words. As far as getting too intellectually dominant, this feels, for me, like experiencing life from the front top of my head, which has the sensation of being under pressure, like someone is squeezing my temples and forehead. I have no connection to my emotional core in the center of my body, and I'm rapidly shuffling through thoughts in a frantic manner, anxious, hypervigilant, and on a mission for achievement dizzy with details about everything that I need to do, and freaked out about the passage of time. Each time, a different system is engaged, but the mechanism is going to be the same. Your head is just trying to handle what seems most critical at that moment by playing up the academic primate brain or animal survival brain that is the most relevant, and playing down the alternative option. That being said, I do think the opposite can happen, as in either of those systems can be flooded and then push you into the opposite option. I think that being in a place which is too mentally stimulating will eventually make the human brain connection shut down. Similarly, a situation that's too emotionally bumpy will cut off all links to feeling anything at all. And in both of these ways, whether we are pushed out of a system activation or pulled into a system activation, I think that we traumatize folks often volley back and forth between dominantly using our forebrain or our more rudimentary hindbrain. And this also affects the access to animal or narrative memory systems, not to mention the activation of the nervous system, which is going to be flung into survival extremes of overdrive or underdrive. It's all the same split system mechanism as what takes place during the original traumatic event, with our body just trying to rapidly adapt to new information in the most energy-conserving method of survival possible. But we tend to learn to do it on a day-to-day scale that we now accept as normal and even adaptive. And how does this explain the actual experience of dissociation? Well, if you're in a blanked out, zoned out, can't string two thoughts together state while you're honestly forgetting the details about your own life, 
this is probably a dissociative event when you prioritized your feeling system. It feels like being mentally numbed. If you're trapped in your head, overthinking, overanalyzing, planning, worrying, trying to make sense of a big event that just happened, you might notice that you're physically numbed out instead. This is where we lose track of our own bodily needs and turn off the emotional roller coaster and then probably forget how to feel at all if it goes on for long enough. Emotional numbers out there, folks who unpredictably have zero or 100 on the feeling scale, but never anything in between, this is you. And I know we might not even think that this is a bad thing. It's kind of helpful not to feel when you have so much to get done. Story of this motherfucker's life. But mental numbers out there, those who drudge through emotions every day but have trouble with executive functioning, I also feel like that can be acutely relieving. Sometimes it's nice to just not think. But obviously over time, this will also degrade the quality of life when you have no awareness of real life details and demands on your plate. The problem overall being this dissociative mechanism isn't controllable. We can't turn it on or off at will, and it leads to really only living half a life, with half of the experiences necessary to engage with the whole planet. I think that we can get stuck in lifetime patterns of mild to moderate dissociation. For instance, if anyone's ever ended up with a completely emotionless mother or father who could only see things through humanistic analytical glasses... Well, they might be dissociative lifers. Focus too hard on the human performance part of the brain to let their living body speak up, multiplied by a few decades. Not only will this eventually cause health problems, but I think at a fundamental level that most of us are going to be a bit disturbed when we do realize we're emotionally or mentally numb. It feels like, well half of this living experience is missing. What's the point when you feel completely disconnected from everything you're stressing through? That can cause a crisis of its own. So dissociation can be a daily event, but dissociation itself usually doesn't cause you too much suffering by design. That's the whole point of it, right? To be less tortured in whatever way possible. At least that is until the day that you stop being as dissociated and you can finally notice everything you've actually been missing running on half a brain. Now, the only thing that's probably more upsetting is realizing that you are running on like none of your brain. Let's talk about one more thing that I see as being kind of a type of full biology dissociation instead of a half measure depersonalization and or derealization. Now, are they the same or different things? Hard to say, because in my experience, it's pretty questionable. But during depersonalization, you are unaware of your experience, or at least extremely unsure of it. It feels like being in a dream, watching yourself living feeling like nothing matters anyways because there's no real linkage to the protein suit that you're observing. You lose the connection to a continuous identity or any familiarity with your observing consciousness, the self as I define it. And man, let me say, 
It does help you get through the completely uncontrollably upsetting times in life by being level 1000 aloof, but in the end, it will also really fuck with you. And derealization, it's more or less the same break from accepting your senses as being real or valid, but you doubt if anything is real, not just you. Does this sound like it's one step away from psychosis? Yeah. And it'll feel like it too, whether you're depersonalized or derealized. I think this is where a lot of we traumatize individuals show up to therapy worried that we are finally going crazy. Well, kid, you're actually not far from it if we can't get your human and animal brains back in line. But at the base of it, I think that these extreme events are still just the same forms of strategically turning off brain connections in a dissociative manner, just uh, maybe a bit too thoroughly. If you lose the human brain system and the emotional system, such as, oh, I don't know, maybe during a period of 18 months where you're living with increasing mental abuse up a creek without a paddle, you might end up depersonalized. I did, and I knew what was happening the whole time, and I still couldn't convince myself that I was real. That's how powerful this brain mechanism is. Nature finds a way. So there you go. Daily dissociative events explained. Extreme dissociative events explained. What's left? How about the whole other half? of this dissociative story. What happens when it isn't a full system dissociation? Now, speaking on this dissociative topic can only get more complicated from here because we don't always necessarily split into one of our half-brain systems like I've described. Actually, we can also dissociate into smaller compartmentalized portions of our two learned brain systems. And what the fuck does that even mean? Well, when we have traumas, we tend to want to avoid those painful areas where the memories are stored on a neural level. We sow this information into our heads that we don't necessarily want to replay. So we try to disconnect the neurons that store the data as much as possible in order to reduce the risk of accidentally wandering down a dark and dangerous thought path again. There's nothing like swimming in memories from 20 years ago in the middle of a fucking work meeting. You know what I'm saying? Let's push this way over here to the back of this mental shelf where we're not going to see it. We also do this when we've adequately shamed ourselves for any past event. Like we mentioned before, we love to blame ourselves when we don't have an explanation for things going sideways. We also love to use shame to punish ourselves for our perceived social failures per evolution's demands. So once we build up all this painful shame around any old event, traumatic or not, we also tend to start snipping those neural connections, pushing that version of ourself that we thoroughly hate far, far away from our usual daily programming. And by version of ourself, I just mean the memories and instructions that we had been operating on via our brain cells at that time 
of that negative event, our operating program at the point of impact. You can call this set of neurons a trauma-associated personality or an identity, a construct of self that lives in our learned brain architecture. And when we start trying to erase our past versions of self, this results in having fragmented neural bits that can be triggered, which are full emotional and visceral memories stored alongside unfinished narrative ones and behavioral instructions. When engaged, these mini brain systems launch us into dissociative hallucinations, flashbacks, and what's known as dissociative identities. And that's it. When we talk about multiple personalities, this is the brain mechanism that we are discussing. Compartmentalized bits of brain cell connections that present as personalities. It's real and we all do it. Everyone has a work self, a home self, an on-the-town self, and so on. Our only common difference around this crowd here is we often have dissociative identities that are programmed as trauma responses and then hidden away. They're extreme reactions based on extreme events using extreme survival tactics that we extremely hate. And so we don't want to use them and we don't want to remember that they even exist. You might have a fight, a flight, a freeze, and a fawn dissociative response, for instance, or many versions of each, becoming a different person in each situation based on the survival system activation that knocks out your ability to perceive, process, or direct the events from your logical human prefrontal cortex. Meaning, when you black out in a rage, when you have no idea why you said or did that atrocious thing, when you're overcome with the feeling of being a past you looking at a past someone from your past history in the middle of a current fight, you might be slipping into a dissociative identity that's born of trauma learning. You had to get through those hard times somehow, and what you learned may not have been very pretty. And now here, years down the line, you're extra ashamed when you accidentally become that person again, or a part of you can't handle that situation, or a different side of you comes out. Seriously, start noticing all the common vernacular referencing dissociative events. We talk about them all the time in the general population. But we like to pretend that it's a humanistic construct for extremely mentally fucked human beings, not just our biological brain doing its duties to keep us alive and safe. Anyways, these are dissociative brain networks, fragmented neural systems, and they're some of the biggest challenges for us to overcome in trauma therapy and long-term recovery. They have the power to freak us out enough that we get stuck in a ruminatory trap. They can halt our progress when we suddenly switch into not having the personal control or faith in therapy to do it anymore all of a sudden. We can also start living out of these trauma-programmed pieces of our brains if we feel under threat for long enough. 
becoming shut down, chronically angry, and unable to get away from our shit memories. Welcome to something known as a trauma self, which you really might want to look into so you can avoid it thoroughly. You might want to find a therapist who can help you with this by locating someone who specializes in dissociation, internal family systems, or personality disorders. That's what I'm trying to say here. Add that to the challenge of getting professional help as it is. But perhaps the most challenging part of all of it is that we can trigger any of these aforementioned above a certain stress stress threshold dissociative events ourselves. Actually, anyone and anything can, because I've oversimplified for clarity so far. It really doesn't have to be stress that causes dissociation. It can be anything that pings one of those compartmentalized neural networks. Any stimulation that's similar to something you've already stored in your head can be the match that lights the forest fire known as completely detaching from your physical being or swimming in forgotten emotional oceans of the brain or becoming someone else entirely. It all really just depends on the specifics of your learned survival responses. A mild social stress? Dissociate. A financial stress? Dissociate. An emotional being throwing emotional vibes at you? Dissociate. A certain word, smell, song, or location? Dissociate. Even a new level of comfort that opens old brain pathways? Dissociate. And when it gets that easy to lose control of your head... We really don't know what to make of it, leading to those going completely insane approximations. But as baffling and nonsensical as the whole stupid fucking brain thing feels, it's actually pretty fucking smart what your brain is doing. Continually trying to learn from past experience to protect you from them now, but also to use them protect use them to protect you from similar danger every day in the future. If you are looking to learn a lot more about dissociation, depersonalization, or dissociative identities in the context of this whole neural network talk, you probably really should. It will change your outlook on everything you've been through. Well, I've already put out quite a few episodes on all of these topics including real-life accounts from fuckers like you about living with dissociative identities, and also how this plays into our feelings about other people and our relationships, and also, also, how dissociation explains things like self-sabotage, stagnation, and self-harm. These are ranked some of the most helpful past podcast posts, so check out the full backlog of episodes. And if you want to learn from these folks, the ones who've already been learning and recovering through parts integration and dissociative unraveling themselves, you might want to talk to the people in the Discord and Patreon communities. Some fuckers have been at this for years already. Where do you think I get the real-life connections in my knowledge, especially on this personality parts topic from? It's them. But if you're not buying into the traumatized motherfucker's life, no problem. I'm not forcing you. You can also get started learning more about all of these topics by searching terms like DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, 
fragmented personalities, schema therapy, and IFS. Just go to the Google machine and get all the information you need. Hit up Janina Fisher and thank me later. Learn about dissociation, y'all. It's a lot more life prevalent than you probably realize, which makes sense if you're only using half of your brain at a time and probably have been doing it since your early childhood without ever realizing it. Start learning. Clear up some brain mysteries that have become life inhibitors. And let's keep moving forward together with our whole brains enlisted. Until we talk next time, my name is Jess. I am a traumatized motherfucker. Hail yourself. Hail Archie. And don't let these brain games get you down. You can learn how to navigate them and understand them and even live adaptively with them. Talk to you next time and uh, cheers, y'all. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.